First Peter Bible Study, Part 12, Marital Conduct. For lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So, we talked about how St. Peter has started to talk to Christians as exiles. He wants us to take the church era seriously for what it is, and it is an exile. So he talked earlier about the standards of conduct that we as believers have in the face of a hostile world. Yeah, obey the governing authorities, don't cause all this controversy, don't go out of your way to be obnoxious. You want to be honorable and to reveal Christ to the masses. Be God's mask, as Luther would say. But now it's time to address the relationships between believers. For if church does not have harmony... Between the members, she can't survive the exile that she's undergoing. Remember, a house divided cannot stand, right? The matter of Christian marriage is then addressed first. And you might be confused as to why that is. It's simple, really. God made marriage before he made the church. Simple as. Adam and Eve were wed before any sacrifices were made, before the gospel was first preached, before any human government was established. And the first human relationship being established, marriage, means that St. Peter wants to address that first in terms of inter-Christian relationships. Now, he begins by addressing wives, and six out of the seven verses here are instructing wives. It's kind of like a mirror image of Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 to 33 where St. Paul is talking mostly to husbands. I almost wonder if St. Peter had read Ephesians and said, all right, husbands have gotten their turn. They've received more detailed instructions on what marriage is and why they need to love their wives as Christ loves the church. But let's explain submission to one's husband a little bit more in detail for the women. Ephesus is in Asia Minor, after all, and St. Peter is addressing the churches 
in Asia Minor, so chances are St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians has already circulated around them. Now it's time to bring a little bit more commentary in. Even if that's not the case, St. Peter is bringing in the motif of hierarchy, just like he does in the previous chapter. Yes, there is a universal priesthood. Yes, all Christians are joined to our Lord Christ. But earthly distinctions persist, and so long as there are distinctions, there are hierarchies. And on account of this, the one with a lower station has to submit to the one with a higher station. And so this is going to apply to marriage when he says in verses 1 and 2, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now he starts off with that word, likewise, and we have to ask why that's there. Because St. Peter is connecting this dynamic to the previous passage, where he instructs Christians to obey governing authorities as well as earthly masters. You have an emperor over you. The Roman emperor, you got to submit to his rules and laws. If you are an employee or a slave or something like that, you still have to listen to and obey your boss or your master. Even if they are unjust and or pagan. Because a husband is head over his wife, the same logic applies here. Now, as an aside, this is something that really needs to be stuck in the eye of everybody that says they want to violently rebel against the government. If you think you have the freedom to take up arms or whatever and rebel against the state, then you are giving your wife permission to rebel against you. That's how this works. St. Peter says it is the same thing. If you think you can go out and be rebellious against authority that God put in place, then you have to admit your wife has that same right. Now, I'm not comfortable with that, are you? <laughs> I want my wife submitting to me. And so, at the same time, I can't tell myself that I have freedoms here and use that as an excuse to, uh, to fight against people for no reason. Anyway, he continues on, Be subject to your own husbands. Wives should recognize their husband's authority and obey them. Now, the interesting thing about be subject, hupotasomenai, that is submission in Ephesians 5.21 and 5.24. But it's translated as be subject because it is in the middle voice. The onus is on Christian wives the duty is on Christian wives to subject themselves to their husbands. That is a recognition of authority that doesn't just consist in doing whatever your husband says. Right? Any, any slave out in the world can obey their master if they're scared enough. What St. Peter here is telling wives to do is to have enthusiastic and willing submission to their husbands. It's not just doing what he asks, but respectfully doing so and wanting to do what he asks. The word there for respectful, by the way, is phobo, 
you know, the root word for fear, phobia. Not that a woman should be terrified of her husband. We oftentimes forget that godly fear in the New Testament is reverence. He wants wives to revere their husbands and care about them the same way that she was called to revere her father and fear him and honor him when dwelling in his house. She must do so for her husband. Now he continues on saying, even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. The intent of subjection to one's husband is not to manipulate him into doing her favors or fixing his personality to her liking or anything like that. Instead, a wifely reverence for her husband is something that shows love to him and helps him develop as a man. Somebody who isn't a believer but sees their wife acting this way is going to go, whoa, she means it and this religion of hers must be the real deal. If he is a believer but he's in sin, he's struggling with some sort of sin, uh, perhaps he's being too impatient with her or perhaps he's got some bad habit, her showing obedience and care is going to inspire him to order his own conduct aright. Even if a husband is just some bad dude, some tyrant or whatever, or unpleasant to be around, a godly Christian wife, St. Peter assures all of them, by their actions, leave that man feeling ashamed. And even if he doesn't, he's shown to the world to be the bastard that he truly is. Now, conversely, this means that a wife must not do the opposite of what St. Peter says. If she decides to treat her husband disrespectfully, if she's self-willed, he's not going to be brought to the faith or away from sin. It never fails to amuse me when I'm doing marital counseling and there are these women that will just treat their husbands like trash and they're shocked that their husbands don't like them very much or do what they want. <laughs> If you treat your husband like trash, he's not going to want to be around you, and he's not going to listen to you talk about Christianity. It's really that simple. He's going to dig his heels in rather than feeling shame or inspiration. Now, occasionally, at best, and I speak in a human way or a worldly way, at best, a cantankerous and rebellious wife will receive a browbeaten doormat of a husband who obeys her every whim. And that might modify his behavior if she's always gaslighting him or trying to mess with him or something like that. But she loses his heart. Assuming that he doesn't just leave her altogether, you got somebody that doesn't love you living with you. How shameful and sad is that? But there are reasons that women are unwilling to do that, and St. Peter addresses that in verses 3 through 6. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, 
if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. There's this further motivation to be a respectful and submissive wife, namely that of true inner beauty. A woman's strength is typically found in her attractiveness. That doesn't make her truly beautiful in God's eyes. St. Peter says here that a woman who has that gentle and quiet spirit, her fostering that and seeking out those virtues, that's what really matters to God. That's what he says is beautiful. What does it mean to be gentle and quiet? Well, let's explore those terms. For gentle, he uses the word in Koine Greek, prios, that's meek. In Matthew 5, 5, when our Lord Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, he's using that same exact term. I don't know why the ESV translators and other guys out there use the term gentle in 1 Peter 3. It's meekness. Uh, what is meekness in the biblical context? It is strength under control. Though a woman, a wife, has God-given strength, the gentle or meek wife does not use those strength and those things that she has for crass manipulation or browbeating. Her appearance would be something which meekness applies to, preferring modest dress. St. Peter is saying women should be modest. But also, given that her attractiveness is a strength to her in the marital context that would also entail, you know, not denying sex to her husband. You don't use sex as a weapon to try to get him to do what you want. St. Peter says it's your respectful conduct that leads to your husband being a better man, right? You being a godly, submissive, respectful wife. Rather than saying, ah, well, I'm not going to get into bed with you unless you do what I say. <laughs> That's not meekness. So, of course, women have other capabilities than just their looks or just sexual access. But we're talking about the context of marriage and what kind of strengths a woman has in that marriage. He also brings up the word quiet, a gentle and quiet spirit, and it doesn't mean silent here. Using the Greek word hesikyu, or hesukyu, hard to pronounce, I know, it's where we get terms like hesychasm, also a misuse of that Greek term. It denotes calmness or stillness. We see it in 1 Timothy 2 verse 2 where St. Paul urges that we pray for rulers, quote, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. It's godly and dignified in every way. The connotation here is one of stability and peace, not necessarily silence. Uh, there's no condemnation for Deborah singing in Judges chapter 5, and he brings up Sarah, who speaks to her husband, <laughs> even gets a little spirited at times. But a quiet spirit is one that is not perturbed or restless. It is not fearful or dissatisfied. So, St. Peter continues, you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Sarah and the other holy women in the Old Testament are marked by St. Peter as being submissive, respectful, meek, at peace, and brave. 
Sarah is especially cited here as the prime example, since not only did she enthusiastically submit to her husband, she also had a journey with God in a similar way to Abraham's. Both of them left Ur when God called Abraham to faith, and both received the promise of a son in their old age. Though Abraham experienced this more direct relationship with our Lord, Sarah is seen following him with bravery and faith, even when he made mistakes. St. Peter brings up courage here because he knows that it takes courage to submit to a higher authority while also retaining your dignity and your Christian freedom. A godly wife puts her well-being in the hands of another. She relies on her husband the same way a faithful Christian relies on God for his or her daily bread. She doesn't insist on being this independent woman, for independence like that is motivated by endless doubts and fear, saying that I don't need a man is saying, I doubt that this man can take care of me, and by extension, I doubt that God will take care of me. So I have to do it myself. So he's answering this. He's answering these objections that women might naturally bring up. And almost all of them are, what if? What if this husband mistreats me? What if he's a loser? What if submission means that I'm just this doormat with a broken spirit and broken will, all that sort of thing? Well, on the topic of mistreatment, well, her conduct will lead to a reformation of his character. If it's godly, submissive, respectful conduct. Well, what if this means just losing my personality, losing myself? Well, that's not the case. I know we bring up typically the whole handmaid's tale conception of women. Uh, those who have literally no personality, their souls having been extinguished. St. <laughs> Peter says, on the contrary, that respecting your husband in a Christian way requires having a strong and established personality. He doesn't want Christian women to be lifeless doormats, but willing helpers. Remember that word, enthusiastic, willing submission. Not, I am a broken slave. They're not at the bottom of a caste system, but willing participants in the role that our Lord gave them. So verse 7, he addresses the husbands. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now again, he uses that word likewise. A husband is now addressed in connection to the commands given to the wife. He is called to be strong, knowing that his headship over the family is a larger responsibility. If a wife is told that she needs bravery and strength to have that willing submission and respectful conduct toward her husband, the same is most certainly said of the man who willingly leads and cares for her. But he has to do so in an understanding way. Literally in the Greek, that's according to knowledge. The husband can't forget that his wife is the weaker vessel, primarily in the realm of the physical. Again, primarily, but we won't get into all the other aspects today. I just don't have the time for it. 
But if you dwell on the physical aspect of it, how is this woman supposed to take care of herself and her children? How is she supposed to do that? Like, feminists have told the women, you can have it all. You can have the family. You can have the kids. You can have the job and the career and the fulfilling, quote-unquote, life and everything. But if you notice that every time women try that, it doesn't work. Or it hardly ever works. And when it does, it's because there's a whole lot of men helping her out. And she'll never give them credit for that. I mean, a, a rich girl with daddy's money out there... Oh, sure, she can have it all or whatever, but she has a ton of money from her father, from her inheritance or her trust fund or whatever, backing her up. This especially rings true in the first century context, where St. Peter is writing at a time where, look, most women were either wives or hookers. Sometimes you had gleaners, sometimes you had women who sold various dyes or they were merchants, but even then they still relied on men to provide them security. If a husband doesn't take her limitations into account, uh, perhaps imposing unrealistic expectations or growing too impatient at her shortcomings, both physical and otherwise, he's demonstrating a lack of understanding. And St. Peter tells us, live with your wives in an understanding way. This will be connected to Ephesians chapter 5, where there's a whole bunch of commands given to husbands. More time is spent on husbands in Ephesians 5, the same way more time is spent on wives in 1 Peter 3. But if we connect that, you want to bring in that understanding that your wife represents the church in marriage. And you as the husband, you represent Christ. To live with her in an understanding way is to say, okay, Jesus is the strong one in this relationship between him and the church, and so must I be that. And the church is going to be tempted towards various sins and rebellions. I need to recognize that that happens to my wife. I have to be patient with her. And this also means showing honor. It says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What does he mean by that? Well, the hierarchy of marriage, the husband at the head, that doesn't take away the inherent dignity of the wife. She, too, is an heir of salvation. Like her husband, she's had the image of God restored in her in baptism, and she is slated for eternal life with Christ our Lord. If you mistreat her, if you treat her like she's not a human, that's blaspheming. You're calling God a liar. You're denying who our Lord says she is, and you're denying what our Lord says he has done for her and to her. You're saying, no, this woman is not regenerate. I'd rather treat her like a dog that needs to be programmed or something. Or I'm going to treat her like a common slave in ancient Rome. If you're doing that, you are in sin. Now, I would also wager that since the husband is head, he's called to lead his family in godliness. And that's going to mean enforcing biblical rules, including headship itself. But while that is true, St. Peter is reminding husbands, hey, your role is primarily positional. Yes, you are the head of this household, but you need to bear in mind whatever you do that she is the weaker vessel still to be honored. 
So if you treat her with derision, if you mistreat her, if you neglect her, if you don't care about her, well, God's going to turn around and he's going to say, oh, okay, I will treat you the way you have been treating your wife. That's a big truth there when St. Peter says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. God will treat you the way you treat your wife. Bear that in mind always. <laughs> Next week, we're going to move along as St. Peter continues developing this thought of Christians relating to one another. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and Amen.